everything kind of moves cyclically. Like in the bull market, everything works. And in the bear market, everything breaks. So I saw this as a really cool opportunity to build something that was kind of cycle uh, agnostic, where in a bull market, you could use it, although it's not as sexy. But in a bear market, it becomes really appealing because people are struggling to generate yield in any way possible. Welcome to the Accredited Investor Podcast, where you'll learn from the world's most successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, innovators, industry titans in commercial real estate, business, marketing, sales, tech, blockchain, crypto, and emerging trends. I'm your host, Jonathan Tuttle, founder of a private equity firm focused on acquisitions of niche commercial real estate along with traditional businesses. Also, I founded a digital growth consulting agency for business owners, helping them with digital marketing, Web3, and crypto solutions. Hey guys, welcome back to the Credit Investor Podcast. And I have a couple of my friends on from Domination Finance, Adrian and Michael. Welcome to the show, guys. Pleasure to be here, John. Thanks for having us on. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Good to reconnect, man. Yeah, yeah. These guys, I've known these guys since around like 2017 when we were first getting involved with like crypto, Web3 uh, space. And I learned a lot from these guys. First, uh, Adrian, you want to start with your background, kind of a little bit more about you, and then we'll go to Michael after that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of all over the place. So uh got into crypto in 2011 with my older brother, Jordan, who's also our co-founder at Domination. And Jordan used to work with John with Revenue Ascend as one of his web devs. Uh, Jordan and I were playing an online video game called RuneScape. The TLDR is in RuneScape, there is a centralized market for the game. So think of like a stock market, but for in-game items. We built a clan around basically gamifying this market and being an in-game RuneScape market maker. Uh, we got a lot of in-game gold and we did OTC trades for Bitcoin. Um, in the first four or five OTC drops we did, we got terribly scammed because it was all peer-to-peer. Um, but yeah, back in those days, there you either had to mine it or buy it off someone else peer-to-peer. And there was no Coinbase. And this was also shortly before the birth of Mt. Gox, the first large crypto exchange ever. Uh, from there, I uh, just kind of kept loose interest in the markets, watching it from afar uh, all through 2012 to about 2016. Right after the ETH DAO hack in 2016, um, I went to Chicago's first Ethereum meetup with Jordan. And that's when we learned what Ethereum was. Uh, 2017, uh, got more into trading, uh, started showing my friends more. Um, basically, we're trying to incubate as many ideas as possible and just get our foothold in the space. We also wanted to do it correctly, though. We didn't want to build any short-term schemes that would blow up in our face, which is commonplace in crypto. Um, and then after that, I worked at a small real estate fund for a bit. Uh, they're alive today. They're called ABC FinTech. Uh, basically, it's just I helped take a existing real estate portfolio and tokenize it on Ethereum. After that, um, I co-founded Domination Finance with Michael, Jordan, and Josh. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's a great story, Michael. A little bit about your background. Yeah, so you know. We initially met after I had a stint out in China with the startup doing hardware um, and mesh networking. And that was right around right after I got introduced to crypto uh, via Adrian. And we were, I remember, you know, in Hubbard, we were bouncing ideas back and forth way back in that day. So uh, we obviously had some stuff going. Um, and then I wrapped up school down at U of I, worked at Exodus Watt for about a year. And then 
during that time pretty much uh, had the idea of the initial like Bitcoin dominance pair and the infrastructure were built on top of, which is UMA. So linked up with Adrian right around his time with the real estate fund was coming to a close. Uh, and we've been going on Domfi hard ever since. So it's kind of fun to bring this back full circle with you because, you know, it's been a, a pretty exciting last five years or so. Yeah, I mean, cause that's the cool thing about you guys. You've got the background and experience Adrian's talking from the very early days. And a lot of people come to space are just kind of, they see the dollar signs, but you actually put the work, you put the grind, you've seen the, you know, the transition to where, where it's going and actually building a, like a, a really good product. Do you want to talk about uh, domination finance and what, cause you guys have a very unique product and it's uh, let you guys talk more, whoever wants to go first. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick things off. So like Michael said, um, after he left Exodus and I stopped working for ABC FinTech full-time, um, he came to me and he was like, Hey, you should be able to trade Bitcoin dominance. It's the most consistently used indicator for crypto trading. And if any listeners don't know what Bitcoin dominance is, it's just Bitcoin's market cap. Sorry, it's, it's, the, it's the market share of Bitcoin's market cap against the entire crypto market. So think of it like this. Bitcoin's market cap is the numerator of the fraction. The entire crypto market cap is the denominator of a fraction. That equals a percentage. So what people would typically do is when Bitcoin dominance was very high, let's say 60 to 65 and sometimes 70%, people would go, man, you know, Bitcoin is dominating the market right now, right? We should buy some alts. And if Bitcoin dominance was low, the inverse was true. That was typically a bullish sign to buy Bitcoin. So instead of using it as an indicator to make a separate trade, Michael was like, you should be able to trade that yourself. And it's kind of stupid. You can't do that anywhere reliably, um, especially on chain in a decentralized and non-custodial format. Uh, I agreed. Um, he had the connection with Uma Protocol, which is they have something called the Optimistic Oracle that allows us to take a current existing feed of any kind of information and turn that into any kind of derivative we want. That's the best TLDR for Ornormi perspective. So because the other Oracle solutions out there, notably Chainlink, didn't offer any Bitcoin dominance feeds, UMA was our only way to make it a Bitcoin dominance-based instrument. After that happened, uh, we basically you know, drew out the first designs, laid everything out from the highest macro level we could. I brought in Jordan and Josh to flesh out the initial founding team. And it was early on after that stage where we realized that this could be something a lot bigger than a cool little instrument. Like We thought, okay... Why does it have to stop at Bitcoin dominance? You should be able to trade the dominance of whatever you want. And with Umo's optimistic Oracle powering your application, that's very possible. So you can make the dominance. So for example, we have Bitcoin dominance, ETH dominance, and Tether dominance currently live for trade. But in the future, we're going to have our community vote and decide what dominance pairs they want. And they will be able to come up with whatever dominance pair they can up to their wildest dreams. So a popular one that I saw was people on crypto Twitter asking, man, I really want to short NFTs. And there's no real way to short NFTs, right? Because a lot of them are overvalued. What you could do is you could make, you know, Bored Ape Yacht Club dominance of NFTs or Bored Ape Yacht Club dominance numerator of the crypto market, right? You could even make something like OpenSea trading volume dominance against other centralized crypto exchanges. You know, like it's really fully customizable. And 
that's where Michael and I thought the real value of domination finance was. Is this ever-changing, molding, ferrofluid-esque type of trading platform. Nice, nice. That's crazy with the <laughs> shorting board apes. <laughs> They'd be good right now <laughs> while we're speaking with the more current marketplace. Uh, Michael, do you have anything to add in that regard? How'd you come up yeah. with that actually? Because you've, because uh, you said, Adrian kind of alluded to the fact that you were, I mean, since it was the world's first, like how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so we were doing some institutional investor shopping for Exodus's uh, fundraise, which ended up being like a reggae plus they closed like a year ago. And we were out in New York talking with Chris Berniski. And there was this project that I had found with the CEO of Exodus, uh, JP. I was like out in Nebraska for a couple of weeks in late 19. And we were just exploring cool stuff that Exodus could potentially integrate. He had always had like application integrations kind of in the pipeline. And one of the things we came across was UMA. And both of us thought it was really cool, um, mainly to the fact that they kind of skipped this Oracle problem. Like all of DeFi up to that point um, was either swapping tokens or building out synthetic tokens based on what Chainlink offered. And that's super restrictive. Like you can pretty much only create tokens that have a whitelist. So we looked into their info and we were like, this is actually really cool. So when we were out in New York, um, we just asked Chris for an intro to them because we couldn't get in touch, literally slid over to their office a couple hours after meeting with him and had a really cool chat with the founding team. So they pretty much walked through a couple of scenarios of stuff you could do. And it was like crazy. You could do like the you know like amount of like pigeon poop on the ground in SF or the average price of an ounce in California like a bunch of these really cool things as long as you had a data feed so obviously thinking a little more industry specific I was like well Bitcoin dominance is super used like it was all over crypto Twitter people referenced it a bunch um, and it moved a lot of the times inverse to the market like when Bitcoin peaked in early eighteen Bitcoin dominance bottomed so not only could you have saved money by selling at that point. But if you actually like liquidated into stables and then long Bitcoin dominance, you would have been up 60% while Bitcoin, the asset crashed like 85. So ultimately, like I just thought it was a really cool tool that serves a unique use because everything kind of moves cyclically, like in the bull market, everything works. And in the bear market, everything breaks. So I saw this as a really cool opportunity to build something that was kind of cycle uh, agnostic where in a bull market, you could use it, although it's not as sexy. But in a bear market, it becomes really appealing because people are struggling to generate yield in any way possible. And then obviously with what it's turned into and kind of the brand name, uh, we're really just trying to become the premier place to trade the market share of any asset and shit like person or whatever, right? Like we could do Cristiano Ronaldo dominance of total Instagram followers, stuff like that. Like you can, It's really just gauging uh, pretty much market share versus focusing on the USD denominated price of an asset or a person or whatever. Very cool. Yeah. Alternative assets and the future, everything is going to be, we're just entering a new age. I love how you guys could be as creative as you want with it. Where do you guys see the web, like the uh, DeFi space going right now? Cause obviously we're in a, a bear market and there's been a lot of craziness happening, but you guys have obviously done really well. So what do you, where do you guys kind of see the market going in DeFi over this year and then over the next couple of years? Yeah. So, I mean, currently right now we're shaking out the losers and the pretenders, right? Like I think a lot of, <clears throat> this is what, this was actually what we're, we raised on for our, our thesis. So when we raised from Parify and Dragonfly and our other, no venture investors and angels. Our main pitch was that everything was a leverage instrument. 
like every okay everything up until that point was a leverage instrument right so you you take away the core dapps from defi right like separate uniswap separate compound ave synthetics right they're always going to be used because they have real utility and value right but then we're like okay everything else spun on top of that all these vaults such as yearn beefy finance most of these yield farms right all of these are instruments that rely on bull market conditions and scenarios to generate yield and succeed right and we were like we've been through this rodeo multiple times before the music never keeps playing forever this is all going to crash eventually and whether it happens now a year from now or 2 years from now we need to build things that can stand the test of the markets like michael said right so that was our initial raise pretense and that obviously got us the check from parify leading around but i i feel like everyone in every bull market cycle that i've seen in crypto since i've been around everyone always deludes themselves that like you know this cycle is different and this one's going to be the super cycle that like gets mass adoption from everyone and we're all going to get in and clearly that's what sets higher price floors for these digital assets right but yeah you know a, a lot of people like i saw this crazy tweet on a crazy tweet but i saw this tweet on twitter where even after the terra crash where people lost a ton of money someone was like hey it's not the end of the world you can still make swaps on uniswap you can still take loans on compound and ave you know you can still swap stable coins and curve like the base decentralized economy of these main cohort of dapps all still work completely as intended and everything that exploded typically had some sort of custodial intervention so like an example of custodial intervention would be like celsius network and voyager yep. right and blockfi so like celsius voyager and blockfi offered high apy just like defi was and they were advertising it as defi and i can kind of see why they would do that because the average person doesn't really understand the difference between making a trade on a non-custodial instrument like uniswap versus making a trade on binance or coinbase right they're just like i you know that's a lot to learn so people saw you know 8 to 10 to 12% apy in their stables uh all black boxed having no idea where that money was going lo and behold that money was being lent out mostly to a single hedge fund which blew up uh 3 euros capital mm-hmm. so a ton of people lost their money but i guess The funny thing was is like I saw all these news headlines where it was like DeFi explodes like financial experiment over and if you actually look at it under the proper lens DeFi held up surprisingly well against this not again not the grifting yield farms on you know pancake swap not the super high leveraged instruments that a lot of these vaults that are being offered these core dapps held up against these crazy markets and really showed their true value. Like this market crash explains why I'm even more bullish on DeFi. Especially given the amount of shenanigans that happened on exchanges that didn't even close their doors, right? So for example, like people were having trouble, you know, withdrawing their Bitcoin on certain tier 2 centralized exchanges. Um word in the street is that a lot of tier 2 and a lot of tier 3 custodial exchanges are insolvent. Nobody really knows until it happens, right? Yep. So but something like synthetics which is going to allow you to trade the top 50 market cap cryptocurrencies on chain I mean you can't really turn it off. 
I don't know if Michael has anything to add there. Yeah. And also like the, the one thing, like you see like Celsius declaring like chapter 11, like three AC, um, like filed for insolvency as well. Um, any assets they leveraged against on these DeFi protocols, so like namely like Compound and Aave, where you could borrow against, uh, you can't unlock that collateral. So they just got liquidated and they repaid DeFi where Celsius in the case of like the end users and the customers uh, didn't give them a dollar, but the protocols got paid back. Uh, 3AC and the you know deals they did that was like behind the scenes, handshake and paper. Uh, they haven't seen a dollar yet, but any funds that they borrowed against on like Aave and Compound, uh, if they reach those liquidation prices, like those protocols got that collateral back and it worked as intended. So that's another really cool thing. Like even in the worst case scenarios, uh, DeFi kind of showed like, hey, it's really resilient. All this is really visible on chain. You have these clear liquidation levels for people borrowing against their assets. And honestly, even price-wise, if you look at the strength it showed in the last like four to six weeks, uh, there's definitely a case to be made like DeFi bottom is in because kind of the worst has been over. A lot of these really stout projects that have been around since 2017 and 18 and 19 uh, drew down ridiculously against their all-time highs, weathered the storm, and now people are really seeing the value of decentralization more than ever with all these centralized implosions. So I think it's going to ultimately be a game of you know fewer and fewer winners and projects like Uniswap are really going to stand out um, in general exchanges, I think, especially ones that are going to slowly pivot over to incentivizing token holders and liquidity providers are going to do really well. I expect Aave and Compound to keep growing as your kind of crypto banks uh, eventually pivoting to under collateralized and like credit based models because it's not sustainable to put in $300 of ETH and take out a $100 loan. Like it's that's really difficult to get the actual average person in. No one's going to want to do that. So over time, I think it's just going to be these projects cementing stronger and stronger moats, uh, just for, you know, free flowing of capital and eventually, you know, being able to leverage your assets in an under collateralized way, but with a lot of trust. So I think the DeFi backbone is getting as strong as ever. And the next step will probably be like identity and trust on chain. But the one thing we've solidified really well is exchange of capital and lending and borrowing in an over collateralized way. Like I think that product market fit is solidified and now with this crash has been proven. So the next step is going to be kind of tying in real world identities and trust to make it a lot more scalable for the average person. But DeFi as we know it today and the projects that stand out today, I definitely expect them to be around five, 10 years from now because they've gone through hype cycles, they've gone through dull cycles, they've built, they've iterated, and they've been stress tested to the tune of billions of dollars. So they kind of checked everything. Like they, they've, you know, they, they finished the marathon. Like they're here to stay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, DeFi is the future. And like you said, the good products will stay around. Where do you see the regulation going? Do you think the regulation is going to like, and what is it going to help you guys? Or do you think it's going to eliminate some of the bad actors? Or and is it going to be, you know, make it more appealing for the average person to join when they think there's more regulation? What are, you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I think that's a difficult question to answer. Um, it's going to be good and bad, right? Depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. So like, obviously with DeFi, it's trustless and permissionless, right? Like as long as you have a MetaMask, you can connect and use any application and any non-custodial instrument you please. And you know exactly what's happening with your money by looking at the on-chain data, right? Mm -hmm. However, if there was a day where let's, let's just, because we're Americans, right? So I'll just talk about America. Let's say the United States was like, okay, 
every single US citizen that has a Web3 wallet has to KYC that wallet, right? While that wouldn't stop DeFi because DeFi just lives on chain and that can never really go away. I think that would definitely hamper its uses and significantly slow down the progress of the space for a long time. Um, and that's, that's a threat that I've seen looming around quite a bit. But at the same time, given how every other country in the world has been super lax on this, I don't think certain politicians within the U.S. government will want us to be behind the other major players in the world, like especially the European Union. Like they've been very open for people to set up shop and create DAOs and set up, you know, decentralized projects there. So I don't know. I mean, I guess we do definitely need some sort of regulation. Like I remember, I don't want to give a particular statistic because I'm live on air, but I, I saw some crazy tweet. And again, numbers could be totally off, but it was like, there's an average of like 118 rug pulls a day on BNB and pancake swap or something. Right. And a lot of these are going to be short, you know, like low volume grifts. Right. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is the average sentiment on crypto right now is God awful for this reason. Right. Like when people, when the average person thinks crypto, they think, Oh my gosh, Terra Luna, everyone lost money and people committed, like committed suicide, you know? Like, uh, I caught up with my grandfather last week. He is 84 years old. He cannot same, he cannot name a single cryptocurrency besides two Bitcoin and Terra. Like he knew all about Terra, right? When the news hit, which was pretty crazy, right? Like you're thinking, wow, a retired 80, you know, man in his early eighties heard it knows who Do Kwan is, right? Like he, like he, like he literally knows his name and brought him up, which is pretty insane to me. So that user sentiment has to change. Um, I mean, with especially the shameless shoehorns of celebrity advertisements with the Super yeah. Bowl, right? Like I watched the newest South Park special last week. It's called Streaming Wars or something. And half the episode literally takes the piss out of Matt Damon for doing his um, crypto.com commercial of like the be bold or be brave and buy crypto, whatever. Like, like they were literally mimicking him in the episode. And I'm like, man, like if, if South park is making fun of you, that's not a good thing, man. Yeah. They're typically pretty on point with their stuff, but um, that's a really hard thing to stop and monitor, right? Like how do you stop a rug pull? What kind of regulation would you do? Right? Like obviously KYCing web three wallets would solve that problem. Because whatever addresses or are smart contracts that are linked to the deployer wallet, people will know who's deploying that wallet, right? The problem is, is a lot of the novelty of crypto is having zero gatekeeping, right? So like, it's kind of like a pick your poison thing. It's like early stage anything that isn't fully doxed and backed properly, which still has its risks is always going to be a riskier investment, whether you're in crypto or not. And I think once people get past that learning barrier, they're going to understand. However, though, if you look at like IDO launch pads, which is just ICO with special dressing all over it, right? I think a lot of those... I think regulation needs to target things like that, right? Because if you look at most IDO launch pads, it's like, oh, the hottest new projects that are incubated and vetted by us, which means they did a backroom handshake deal, gave them some tokens, they listed on the launch pad, 
They set the valuation to whatever the hell they please, right? List it, dump it. IDEO Launchpad makes their profit. Founders and insiders dump, they make their profit. Retail gets screwed every single time. So again, I'm, I'm not a regulator. I'm, I'm not a legal professional. But if there's one thing they want to focus on, it's probably just illicit sales of tokens. Because we will not and will have not and will never do any kind of public sale for Dompi ever. Uh, that breaks pretty much every securities law in the book. And we want everybody to be able to participate in our platform. So I don't know. Michael, thoughts? Yeah, I actually like probably have a completely different sentiment because so many of those happen. I kind of call that Darwinism. Like if you're going to go ape into a shit project and you lose a couple K because a project raised 700K and rugged it, okay. But look at things like Anchor. Look at things like Voyager and Celsius. Like you had people lose billions of dollars. That's probably more than has ever been raised in IDEO platforms, much less that that requires a power user base. These things were branded as neobank alternatives to your average person. And they like they ate it up. And they use things like FDIC insured. They guaranteed interest rates. And you kind of need to go after the biggest projects to make a statement, but not something like Uniswap. If let's say they started giving fees to holders, if they then prosecuted Uniswap for securities violations, that's backwards. Like They kind of missed the boat with a lot of these custodial products. And I think that's what they should be regulating. It's where there's the most people at risk. Like that's your job as a regulator. You're trying to prevent retail from getting fucked or like even institutions. And they've been doing it backwards. Like I think the times they have dropped the ban hammer have been on projects that were kind of around. Like I think there was one like Kin from 2018 that they came and like subpoenaed two years later and shit like that. So n- sales need to be regulated, but I definitely think that the end user is a lot more like they have a lot more risk appetite given just how you need to participate in those. You kind of need to already have a web three wallet. You need to already have, you know, ETH or BNB on a non-custodial wallet. Whereas something like Celsius, like you could sign up with your email and a password and wire money in from your bank and you got fucked because you saw something that mimicked your bank of America or chase account. You saw higher APY than what you were getting. And you saw things like FDIC insured thrown out there in the, you know, in the fine print. And they missed the boat there. So they like really need to start top down with where there's the most usage and start flagging projects that have inherent risks to your average crowd. And obviously you're going to pick up some token sales along the way. But I think for to save the most amount of people early on, like you should start there and then go down the line to some of these smaller, like whatever, 150K, 500K projects rugging. Like the amplitude of Luna imploding by promising 20% APY was 18 billion, like, or something along those lines. Oh, oh totally. Totally. I think bigger problem than like, you know, these smaller raises. I think that's kind of a given though. I think, I think everyone on planet earth who knows what happened with Terra Luna, even from just a civilian lens, watching the news knows that something needs to be done to parties like that. Right. Like I, I think it's, it's it's going after the 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 big bad apples like you pointed out like it's it's again like it's like Voyager in their particular case it actually t- like it was their fault by being irresponsible with their money and fifty percent of what they loaned out went to just three euros capital but they did everything as intended in their terms of service 
besides explaining exactly where that yield came from, right? So like that obviously needs to be regulated, right? But for things like, I don't know, like Anchor and Terra Luna, all the signs were kind of there, you know? Like all the signs were there. It's like, obviously 20% APY wasn't sustainable. You know, people were calling them out on Twitter. Everyone was just hush hush because everything was only up mode, right? And, you know, obviously when it collapsed, people lost a lot of money. And I think, like, I don't think there's any new regulation that needs to come. Like it's already illegal. If you're advertising a false interest rate that you're not actually generating, that doesn't have that doesn't have a risk-free profile, then that's already illegal. So I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Like obviously for the things to be done and the right kind of regulation to come, you need to come after the biggest players who messed up. So yeah, I agree. I think uh yeah, it's the craziest time when we're filming this because we're seeing it in real time. <laughs> if we did this a year ago, it would have been everything was uh, you know, rocket ship to the moon and there was no no challenges, everything was just, you know skyrocketing and now it's like we're actually seeing what the good products are and weeding out like the bad actors what's kind of your uh what's kind of your guys roadmap for the next couple of years where do you guys see your your project going domination finance where do you guys want to be where do you guys what are you guys trying to accomplish uh exactly what we are today with more trading pairs and more liquidity and a larger community like we which sounds like a very simple and lazy answer but I guess the reason why we did that is we spent so much time in the idealization phase and a lot of time building Mm -hmm. while, you know, we could have released a token early or gone really hard on marketing and built a community earlier than it was worth. But uh, yeah, I mean, with the core based product there, we want people coming up with insane dominance pairs up to their wildest dreams and calculations, right? Loading it in governments, having everyone approve it, having that live for trade within a week or so, and then letting everyone go absolutely fucking crazy. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's cool. Michael, can you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, just more pairs and more chains. Like as an application, we're not as interested in playing these like, uh, you know, games of like, oh, I love Optimism. I love Arbitrum. I love BNB. Like if our infrastructure allows us to bridge there, we'll just be there. Um, and let usage dictate that. So kind of the same way with the pairs. Uh, as a founding team, we rolled out the three flagships uh, in not too long when governance will be able to actually kind of vote and the community can just voice what pairs they want to see. Uh, as long as we have some data available for it, we'll just go deploy it. So we kind of built like the skeleton that is pretty scalable. And now we're just going to be expanding pairs and chains based on what users literally voice. So we're really excited to build this like super tight feedback loop uh, between user requests and actually getting into the product. So, you know, hopefully we're just going to establish ourselves like with this brand of, you know, your trading market dominance in this venue and the pairs that you trade and the chains you trade on are going to be decided by our users. So just continuing down that rabbit hole. And that's probably going to be never ending with how much this industry changes and innovates on, you know, like a day to day basis. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. It's like fun to see you guys' journey from a couple of years ago and how you guys are building like really innovative products and just kind of seeing where the market's gone. Uh, what's what's kind of like a vice tip? Start with you, Adrian, first. That if somebody is first getting involved with crypto, because some of you know some of the audience, my audience is you know real estate or 
business and they're trying to get their feet dabbled into something in crypto, what's just some kind of tips to how to learn more or how to get like a little more background? I mean, um, I, I would recommend a few content creators. Uh, I mean, I typically stay away from anything crypto YouTube because it's genuinely terrible. But uh, Coin Bureau is an excellent channel for news, upkeep, and general uh, sorry, general beginner guides. Um, I would also recommend, uh, oh my goodness, uh, Bankless, Bankless HQ, also very good. Uh, Bankless HQ is a bit niche though. Um, that's like purely DeFi specific. So if they want to learn more about products like domination finance, because we are in the DeFi realm of crypto, Bankless HQ is definitely where they should head out. Um, I don't know, Michael, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I'll kind of go from like a steps to take. Uh, it's realistically going to be a lot easier uh, for US or international users. I mean, uh, either Coinbase, FTX or Binance, like set it up, KYC, buy Ethereum. Uh, to get started. That way, if you want to get out, you have an easy off-ramp back into your bank account. I know that's really important for a lot of people. And then download and set up a MetaMask wallet uh, as a second step. And then I recommend reading up and using all three or at least one of the three protocols, which is Uniswap. Uh, that's where you can swap your Ethereum for other stuff, even back to like USDC, which is digital dollars. Uh, read up on Aave and Compound, which is where you can deposit your Ethereum to borrow against it if you'd like to. Those are like the flagship lending and borrowing markets. And then MakerDAO, which at the moment is kind of the most proven experiment and arguably first DeFi product since they've been around for around five years now. Uh, they allow you to deposit a bunch of assets and create this digital dollar they call DAI. So those are the, you know, set up an account, buy some ETH, withdraw that ETH to MetaMask after setting up that wallet and then read or interact with these protocols so you can actually get your feet wet in DeFi. Uh, those are kind of the three flagships. And I think kind of the one, two, and three of what everyone trying to be serious in this industry, they got to at least know how they function. That's like the, you know, it's like the genesis blocks of this industry, honestly. Yeah. Definitely. And I, I guess tools they should be familiar with. Um, CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap, it's kind of, you know, your choice there. I prefer CoinGecko and so does Michael just because, you know, they typically have more reliable data and they, they're not as offline as often. Um, DeFi Llama. So after you get your feet wet with, you know, those three main dApps that Michael explains, like Uniswap, Compound, Slash Aave, and MakerDAO, um, DeFi Llama is kind of like the DeFi dashboard of all the different dApps and all the different chains. So a main metric you want to keep an eye out for is TVL known as total value locked that tells you how much collateral is locked within the instrument right so if you have let's say a decentralized exchange and they have you know 23 million dollars in tvl that means across all of their pools and all of their pairs that are on that dex there's 23 million dollars of tradable liquidity right so on DeFi Llama, you can search up any application you want. You can see how much tradable liquidity there is, what blockchains they exist on, and all the other necessary data you need to know. But yeah, DeFi Llama, CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, Coinbase, Binance, whatever centralized on-ramp and on-ramp of your choice. Understand Uniswap, understand Compound, understand MakerDAO. And that should be enough to really get past that big beginner's hump. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the things that this industry 
was a couple of conferences. That's the one thing that this industry needs to make the onboarding experience a little easier and education more available. And those are some great examples. That's stuff I had to find out myself, but there's not a lot of resources out there that kind of tell you or, and, or you never know if it's like some paid partnership, like you mentioned some of the YouTubers it's like, or it's just like they're getting paid in the back end for some scammy products. So the products that are good, you just got to like MetaMask is the Coinbase. All those are like the major, major, <laughs> you have to use them and uh, just have to you know dabble. Like that's what I did. Like, you're going to lose a little bit in some of the you know transactions, but you're going to get the experience. You're going to learn how to actually, how to get into web three basically. And so where would be, uh, where would be a good place to find you guys online? Uh, I guess www.domination.finance is our application. I'll take you straight there. Uh, we also have a central landing page. So that's www.info.domination.finance. Uh, we're also on Twitter as well. So everything can be found through our Twitter that can take you to our discord from there. Um, personal yeah, profiles. Bye. What's up? At Domination5 for Twitter. That's right. Um, as as for myself and Michael and I, we're not really like thought leaders or anything. Like, I don't know. Like, we don't really care to build individual brands. So we just kind of like to point everyone at Dom5. Mm-hmm. It just makes it a lot easier. Perfect. Yeah, we're like ourselves in the Discord and on Twitter. So like, come say hello if you found us through here. Uh, we have all our faces on our Discord profiles and on Telegram. We're not like and on cartoon avatars. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you guys had a Discord. I have to join it. I'm following you guys on Twitter, but I didn't know you had a Discord. So, I have to catch up. Cool. Yeah, well, thank I mean, you guys. Thanks for uh, coming on the show and uh, excited to see where your project goes in the next few years. I mean, you guys got a, a nice runway and a nice project. And I think everyone should check it out Domination Finance. Thank you guys. Cheers, John. John. Thanks. Hey, it's Jonathan. I get exclusive access to great investment deals, opportunities from my community, my network, and just for my loyal listeners, we'll give you first access. Go to accreditedinvestorpodcast.com and sign up for the email list. Also, join the Accredited Investor Podcast Patreon group, where we give you additional exclusive interviews, monthly private group calls, and networking with others in this community. Check out Accredited Investor Podcast on Patreon. Finally, I get a lot of people asking me for to help them one-on-one. Yes, I can, but it's very limited. Go to revenueascend.com slash consulting for any real estate investing exclusive access. Go to midwestparkcapital.com. All links are included below. Please like, comment, and share this podcast with other friends. Thanks for listening.